Hello and welcome to episode two of e-commerce matters brought to you by Black Curve. Black Curve helps e-commerce businesses make pricing decisions. Today we're answering the question, why competitor data is crap? I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague and co-star, a regular co-star on all of these podcasts and webinars, uh, Dr. Rob Horton. Uh, hello, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, mate. Uh, I'm still unsurprisingly in sunny Hampstead. <laughs> <laughs> Not much has changed, absolutely. But I, you did show me prior to this that you have been hand-delivered and baked with love a cookie by your other half, so I'm very jealous of that. Yeah, well, there seems to be flour back in the shop, so that's that's pretty useful. I don't know about anyone else, but that was the story of our lockdown, was I'm able to get hold of flour by any, any means. <laughs> so you've heard it here first, then, that lockdown is easing because uh, Rob now has access to flour. So if you don't hear it, learn anything in today's podcast, that, that might be it. Um, so so let's, uh, let's talk business. Let's talk why competitor data is crap. Now, as a uh, when when this title was first posed to me as a founder of a pricing optimization software company uh, and as somebody who uh, gets revenue from competitor data, I was a bit you know surprised that this this topic was muted to me. Uh, but when it was when it was spoken about in a bit more detail, uh, I understood it more. And uh, definitely when I hear about the nuances of competitor data and see the work that happens behind the scenes in order to make it more effective. And also as I as I understand more and more about how businesses are using competitor data and uh, and some of them should be using it more effectively than than they are. Um, so the first point I wanted to to touch upon to tackle this this question is really about I'm personally passionate to help businesses not blindly follow competitor data. It's one of the, the reasons that I that I founded Black Curve in the first place. I think, you know, I think Rob, you you agree that that competitor data is very strong when used in the right context. Um, it helps you be market efficient when used in the right context. But there is a habit that forms in um, certainly in the e-commerce companies and retailers that we come across that that when they collect competitor data, it's almost once they've set their rules in which to, you know, where they want to be in the market, it sometimes can be a set and forget attitude. And they're, they're often blindly following the competitor pricing that they see. Sometimes they don't know to the detriment of their business. So they're following pricing in terms of reducing price sometimes when they don't, they don't have to. So um, is that, is that what you see Rob as well? Yeah, I think similarly to you, I've, banged on about this a lot especially from a a science perspective because the the real issue i have is not with competitive data it's if you if that if if your only strategy is to follow your competitors you don't actually have a strategy you have a, a, a mixture of everyone else's pricing strategy and that's the the key danger so um and the, the real issue there is that what works for them may not work for you. They may have a different relationship with the supplier. Uh, they ha- may have, or certainly will have a different position in the marketplace on certain goods. If I set up robshop.com, heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> I think I that domain name is off, available if you'd like. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I try and go after John Lewis uh, or another major retailer. And I just, I follow their pricing. I'm going to be in trouble because I'll probably be expensive relative to the rest of the market and I won't have any brand identity 
brand DNA to to reinforce that. So I think that's the the core issue there is that you you end up you lose margin, you lose sales, but really you're not in control, uh, and you're you're not setting the cadence with which your business interacts with the marketplace. Yeah, it's 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 interesting, isn't it? If you're you you don't know what their buying team have managed to do. So you you don't know if their buying team has negotiated a, an agreement with that supplier that, that if they manage to shift a certain amount of stock, for example, they might get that rebate at the end of the month. And in which case, if you're you know if you're following them, their cost prices could be a lot lower than yours. So their margin's going to be greater, and then you're 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 just eroding your uh, your margin, and uh, and 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 you know you're in a downward spiral. You're in a downward downward game. Or the only thing that you're competing on or trying to compete on is price. You're not trying to establish. Do you have any more power than than that particular price? Um, so it's it's certainly certainly something we see time time and time again. Yeah. I think it's the funniest thing for two people who work from a pricing company is the more and more we do this, the more we realize that it's just one piece of the puzzle and often not the most important piece, right? It's like there are going to be goods where you need competitive data and you need to follow it. If it's easy, if they're easily accessible, if they're high volume traded, that's it. But there's a whole host of other reasons not to do it. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you're trying to find, you know, the whole the whole term of price optimization, isn't it? You're trying to find where you have pricing power, and pricing power in itself determines where you don't need to worry about what your competitors are doing, right? Um, because if you have a fantastic brand, or if you have the best delivery return policy, or uh, or if you, you know, in in my shopping habits, if that particular supplier puts Haribo in the in the box, that I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> continue to buy from that, and I couldn't care less yeah. whether or not I could get that product cheaper from uh, from a from a competitor. Right? We all we all have our own habits, and it's about finding finding where they have pricing power. So, so if if competitor data, if 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 businesses are using not using competitor data in the right manner, how can they start to get more out of the competitor data that they're that they're using what should they do first yeah it's a good question so we are not by any means saying and i want to make this really clear that you we're not saying that you don't need competitive data you do it is super important right um what we are saying is that it's probably worth being a bit cannier or smarter with it than than you have been um the people i'm aware of the businesses i'm aware of that use it most successfully uh with us and outside of us actually it's worth saying layer it with other data sources so they will they will follow the competitor movement and then they will that will trigger off a, a like an analytics process to, to go and look at the marketplace why do i think they're making that price change is, is this um is this a good price change is this a bad price change normally and that, that kind of triggers a whole investigation. Normally, you kind of sit within two bounds. If it's a small price change of a product you know, actually, sure, following your competitors, and that, if that's your strategy on those products, wave it through, fine. But say someone drops the price by 10 15%, that's a flag, right? What's happening there? Do they have too much stock? I mean, unfortunately, at the minute, are they going into liquidation? Are they just dumping? You don't know, right? So, um so that's kind of stage one just on competitor data. 
and and the marketplace itself. The, the, the next thing to do is really just start using the other data sets you have available. How well is the product selling? How much stock do I have? What's my advertising spend on this product? Because there's a lot of hidden costs. And I often think people people don't think about um, in, in terms of pricing and margin and the rest of it in that um, your, your competitor might be lower, but you might have market dominance because you put a big campaign behind it. So they're having to drop the price to even begin to compete with you for visibility. Um, and that's something which yeah. we'll probably look at later on in the podcast in terms of you get into all sorts of games with when you're collecting competitor prices from Google Shopping that that sometimes you know you can sponsor your post to appear higher than than somebody else yeah, and you might sure. you know you might be more expensive or cheaper but by that very nature you're more visible to the end consumer and you know people are fundamentally lazy and impatient and they sometimes click the first thing that they're presented with so there's a whole secondary third fourth fifth sixth layer behind just just what what the competitor price yeah. is alone um, and so if 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 retailers and e-commerce companies are just starting out and have got competitor data at the moment and that's the only thing that they have at their disposal today how can they very quickly let, let's say that they've set arbitrary rules to 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 be within a certain parity of chosen competitors how can they make that more effective now? Is there is there certain indicators they can look out with in terms of where they should be following and where they shouldn't be following? Yeah, I mean, this is this is something we do internally quite a lot, uh, especially when we're talking to newer clients, is, is really getting an understanding because actually the competitor data, if you have it historically especially, gives you an understanding of your space, right? So you can look at how many price changes are being made on a given product and how often. Um, and that, even without sales or stock or the rest of it, will give you quite a nice indication of what's comp- what's a highly competitive product, what's everyone bidding on, and what what isn't. And so, if you can find kind of products that you know sell well, um, but you aren't seeing price changes in or or that kind of aggressive marketplace, that's a real edge for you there because you know you've got a piece of market dominance, and you can either leave it be or start playing with the price either to make more margin or or whatever and you can also look at products that aren't selling well that prices aren't moving because you can test if that's price driven right you can lower the price knowing that people are unlikely to follow you because they're not looking at it so you might be able to steal a march now if there's no demand there's no demand um but it could be and what's often the case is that things are slightly mispriced and you make them a little bit cheaper and something they become a lot more attractive uh, this is often the case with um products that cannibalize against each other and this you won't see in competitive data and we'll get probably more into it later but uh in the competitive data world we talk a lot about like for like matches so i have this product and i want to know basically what everyone else is selling this exact product at. what people often don't do is well what's competing with this product so say i'm a good example something like a pint glass something really indiscriminate right and so i could search for that very specific pint glass and see that is one pound and everyone else has it as one pound and no one's buying it that's because there's a very similar pint glass that costs 75p and everyone's buying that um and so you can kind of highlight these secondary uh what would i call them 
secondary levers around your competitive data set that that you wouldn't get just by looking at the pure data. Yeah, I think it's if you, I think you can you, you know to to echo your your statement earlier that uh, that we strongly believe that competitor data is a powerful data set, and I think that's that's echoed again by our studies that show well prior to the lockdown that actually where there was a competitor overlap, fifty two percent of the time on average we would have been within parity with the market. Okay, so so then that means that forty eight percent of the time you've got to to continue what you were saying you've got to consider your your other your other data sets available to help you help you make those decisions um so yeah so i think i think it's 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 really it's really interesting that that competitor data when used effectively can help you identify where where you've got to move price so so what are the some of the challenges that you've seen from an actual collection point of view so um so you're going out there you're collecting your competitor data you've got it you know what? What are some of the the myths that that, that, that was sort of happening behind the scenes from from a, from a technology point of view? Yeah, it's a really really interesting one um, because compared to the data collection, is very easy to do but very hard to do well. I think um, so. In broad terms, let's stick with Google Shopping or just just because bespoke bespoke data. Uh, aggregation is a is a topic in of itself, but realistically, what you do is you mimic a human search path. So you write a script or sort of a program that uh, takes in a search term, spits that into Google, and takes the results. Uh, which is actually, if you've got a half decent programmer, quite straightforward. Um, realistically, the difficulty is to do with the curation of those results. So the search term that you search in Google will dramatically affect how accurate a match you get out the other end. So if you assume that you could search for a, a product and then get decent uh, competitive data to the other side, that's very naive, right? Because all, and you can just prove that very easily just by going Google Hoover and see what results you get back, right? And then Google Dyson Hoover see what results you get back, and then Google Dyson V10 Animal Hoover, and you're still getting really, really inaccurate search results because Google is doing its best to make your life easier, right, as a, as a shopper. Because Google's saying, okay, yeah, I know you want this Hoover, but have you looked at all these other ones, right? Look, it's a competitive marketplace up there. You might want the V7. You might want another brand. Um, and that... Is what makes actual gathering of data difficult um, because when you're trying to find a like-for-like -like match for a client, if you're not very careful about how you do it, you're going to drag in all that other data that isn't actually relevant. So is it, well, I was going to actually say before I, before I go on is that you are now two for two for mentioning Dyson in a, in a podcast. So, uh, uh, so we'll have to see how we'll have to get you, not a swear jar as we discussed last time, we'll have to get you a jar for mentioning. There's a very, very good reason for this in that like, it is a very good example of a product that has a lot of really interesting traits from an R&D perspective. So we use it a lot. So high demand, highly competitive, Lots of product cannibalization because there's lots of similar models, blah, 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 blah. So it has become kind of a bit of a black curve in joke that when everyone, whenever we're kind of testing something, it's like name a product, it's always the Dyson Hoover. Uh, 
So one of the forfeits is going to have to be that you're going to, in one of these podcasts, you're going to have to wheel your Dyson Hoover out uh, and and give us a test drive. I was going to say that actually, I'm also two for two for mentioning products that are next to me in the city. (laughs) Last week was an oven and this week it is a Dyson Hoover. That's now been installed though, right? The oven's not not literally right next. It's it's not not like now a a coffee table as it was uh, was last week before it was installed. (laughs) My student days are long ago. Um, yeah, so I think if we look at that a bit a bit further, the the, the real insightful piece that I I was uh, shown last week, we had an internal tech show and tell last week, and I hadn't quite appreciated the many nuances with which Google Marketplace operates. So, and so if you're using this as a as a tool with which to benchmark, because we go, you know, I, I, if I put my sales hat on for a second. If we go into to an e-commerce company and they're 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 using competitor data more often than not they they say well when we're looking to make a price change on our core products as well we double check what our supplier has given us if they're already collecting competitor data with it with another third party and we log on to google shopping and we have a look and see what the price is mm-hmm. now this is where we open our can of worms and this is where to a certain extent you get to a period of why competitor data is crap because you've got to know you've got to know how to overcome these hurdles or otherwise shit in shit out right because you're yeah. making decisions on on poor data the first nuance that that I learned about was was literally if you depending on um the time of day you search depends on what search result you get. So, is, is there what's the reason behind that? Do you, do you have you managed to find that one out? Uh, I'm getting there. So basically, there is no such thing as a free lunch, right? Like no, one, <laughs> no one hosts you on their website for free, especially not uh, Mr. Google, lovely, yeah, <laughs> Mr. Google, or Mr. Facebook, or or any of them really. Um, so what there is, uh, uh, it's all advertising, basically. And there is an engine behind the scenes that, I mean, I'm sure actually the people who are listening to this know this much better than us because they're probably using it day in, day out. As an engine, and you, you bid, right? So in this, we use it for search terms, the Black Curve website, but you also use it for products uh, that you're selling in Google Shopping. And you set a whole host of factors target audience, time of day, uh, what pajamas you're wearing currently. Like, there's a whole, a whole range of things that you could you set it up and then you set your limits in terms of what you're willing to pay for an advert and then it just kicks off in the background. What this means is that actually search results and search order are dynamic. Um, so by and large, within a similar region, if you Google the same product, you do see similar results interestingly um if you google slightly different terms for you get different different orders and different suppliers cropping up and that's because they might be bidding on one term and not uh and not another right so to give an example of how we came afoul of it and actually one of our well our internal SEO optimization uh, expert Sabir picked up on it was that we were bidding on some terms and not others. And actually, 
that meant that you search for price optimization and we weren't coming up <laughs> because it had just slipped through the net, right? Like, uh, and it's exactly the same. And this is why it's so important to kind of understand all these data sets because these adverts aren't cheap either, right? So, uh, and this is probably another episode for another day, but if you don't understand why you're pricing things, why you're selling things and what you're bidding on, holistically you're going to waste a whole host of money um so if your product is too expensive right but you're spending a lot of marketing spend it doesn't matter because you're in a competitive marketplace and everyone is cheaper than you um so yeah it's kind of fascinating you know like one of those um massive rabbit holes that you can just go go down for hours just kind of googling the literally the nuances in different search terms and trying to reverse engineer it because the other one that um, that was shown about is, I mean, we talk about location, right? And I think mm. people think location, you know, is just simply England, Ireland, America, you know, Canada. Well, I'll stop. Uh, I have a geography degree, so I'll stop naming uh, stop naming countries now. <laughs> uh, Canada has the longest coastline. For those who who want the answer to a pub quiz question, um, yeah. So uh, the, the the interesting thing though, there's sub locations as well so depending your if you're you know by the way i'd love you to use google to i'd love you to use um black curve rather to, to to supply your competitor data um but one thing that a lot of people don't realize whoever they use is that are the ip addresses so so what we do is basically in order for us to scrape it we have to pretend we're in different locations right so that we we basically um google thinks we're collecting data from america or it, it thinks you're collecting data from ireland or, or wherever but within ireland or within america or within england there's there's lots of sub ip so you've got to make sure you've got enough yeah. enough to cover because you might if you're using an ip i don't know in durham versus london you might be collecting, scraping the same search term or collecting the same search term, but you'll get completely different results. So you've got to come up with something behind the scenes that can, to a certain extent, get you a statistical representation of to statistical certainty that actually that price is accurate on that day. Um, and this is where you start to get into all the sub-nuances of, of what Google's presenting you. Yeah, I think it's... I'm a bit more bullish on this. I don't think it's quite as bad... So I think where it's really impactful is um, is is cross country uh, for for really obvious reasons. Um, we did run some experiments. Um, so we we set up servers all across the the US and then scraped the same products. Um, and actually, the prices came out largely the same. And the reason for that, I think, is is pretty human because I think within a reason within a region, people can only be bothered to set one one price really. So unless there is kind of uh, like pretty massive, um, what do I what do I want to call it? Like difference in in spending power across a region, largely it will gravitate to whatever the maximum price people can charge for that that, that product. Right? Oh, but I'm thinking more from a point of view of what I've seen is that depending on if you're bidding on certain target groups and certain target audiences, oh, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, you know, for, I, don't, I don't know, uh, you're, you're launching a particular product and you want to, you want to, you want, you think it's going to be particularly useful for city dwellers, right? So therefore you're going to bid in, I don't know, if you're in England, Manchester, London, Birmingham, 
you know so therefore if you've got the ip addresses in those particular locations obviously you're going to get those results but if you've got your ip addresses in different locations you're going to get a different set of results right and and you may not even see them right so you may you may you may then wonder why your key competitors aren't cropping up or even why you aren't cropping up we see that quite a lot as well actually where people drop in and out no that 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 is completely true because one i mean this was one thing we had to solve for for one of our customers that actually came to us from a from a competitor of ours which will will rename nameless but uh, uh they were finding that you know regularly they just suddenly had gaps in their competitor data so it was like it was collecting day in day out quite happily this third party was collecting the price and then suddenly it would disappear in the ether and it was almost like well hang on a minute right it's a dyson hoover you can still buy that dyson hoover where's it where's it gone and and this is because that's that other supplier of competitors didn't quite understand the nuances of well the reason is is because of this and therefore you've got to do this to 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 make sure that you don't have that gap in your gap in your data so what i will say and i will i will fight the corner for all the competitor data suppliers out there in that you've got to be don't be too harsh to (laughs) because they're all fighting one of the largest corporations in the world right so um, fundamentally, you have key marketplaces. Uh, again, so you, you have Google, you have Amazon, eBay, but you can scrape all these sites. Um, but if uh, Google are known for doing this, and it was a what, six, eight months ago or something, I think it was a quite a large problem for a number of people. They just change things because. Because Why not? You can. <laughs> uh, you, usually, actually, probably not maliciously. Uh, some smart UI UX person has an, has had an idea about how a box should be over there uh, somewhere else, and then that takes down the whole scraping infrastructure, and then you're kind of in a scramble to kind of patch and get it back up again. Because um, these things do tend to be quite delicately balanced, um, at least for most people. There are there are cleverer ways to get around it, but we can do that on a more technically minded podcast if we, if we want. Yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely. I mean, you know, I think we'll all be, I mean, myself as a, as a business owner, I'd be quite happy if I had the power that, that Google had both monetary <laughs> and, uh, and and in terms of reach. So, you know, it is very much a David and Goliath type type approach. But I think it's, it's just really about understanding the nuances, right? And then then working within that. And, you know, if you don't well, understand the nuances, your data is going to be crap because you're not, you're going to have gaps in it. I think we've danced around it. We haven't actually addressed it because the the um, it's about data hygiene. The, yeah. key, the key question actually is about data hygiene and whether you're doing data hygiene well. Getting the data is, I don't think, hard. I mean, quite unquite, but like if you're for, for a decent-sized company with decent resources, access to decent developers, it's a solved problem. You can Google how to do it, at least to get you started. What there isn't much conversation about is what, how do you curate the data in such a way to make it usable, right? So if someone is making, in our case, a pricing decision, that is quite, we, we put a very high barrier of confidence in, in, in that data before it's used. Um, interestingly, depending on how you use it will affect that. So if someone's just using it to have a look at, and gain market insight, then it's a lower barrier, and then down and down and down and down. But the, the key thing there is that a lot of the time, quite the title, competitor data is, is trash, it's not good, it's because it just hasn't been curated properly. Um, really, the data itself is, is just raw, and it's 
it's as good as raw data can be, but with a bit of processing and with a bit of munging, um, you could be flying. And that's probably, in terms of, um, well, it's a lot of what we do, but in terms of kind of for a business, how can I get the most in a quite straightforward way out of competitor data is making sure that that automated feed I'm getting is is properly cleaned, is properly used. Um, a really good example is a, a scraper can't distinguish often between secondhand and new product. Yeah. Right? That That's the classic. Um, so, uh, so how do you do that? Are you inadvertently price matching against um, or making business decisions based on someone who's selling a secondhand version of something? Right? Or are they discounted? Uh, are they even in stock? Is it an old price? Is it stale? Like all, all this kind of stuff, uh, all these kind of things are things you can post process out if you're if you understand the marketplace enough. So, so am I hearing that? I suppose there's there's two sides of it. Um, in order to make sure that your competitor data isn't crap, there's the first side of it is understanding how Mr. Google or whichever marketplace works and operates, and then having yeah having the uh, processes in place or the technology in place to navigate those you know at, it, at its simple term it's making sure that you have you know the right you're, you've got you've got access to the right ip addresses to get a representative sample to give you to give you to give you a, a flavor right so it's how do you navigate the blocking and how do you navigate the 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 the, the paid versus unpaid all of that good stuff right and then Okay, fine. You've got your data down. You feel that you've got a good sense of that, but you're wanting to make pricing decisions off the back of this. So, in order for you to not make the wrong decision, or, or maybe not the wrong decision, in order because you know, I'm a firm believer that sometimes in the pricing world, making a decision is better than no decision because you learn a lot from a lot yeah, from that. Yeah, um, but but how do you then make a good decision? Um, that that maximizes margin or maximizes the volume that that you you're able to achieve, and that's around making sure that you have the right cleansing or, to borrow your term, data hygiene processes in place. So, um, without giving too much of the crown jewels away of uh, of, of of black curve, because you never know who's listening and who who's watching. But a simple thing might be, you know, if you're collecting multiple prices from a particular particular vendor day in day out. Is there suddenly a massive change in the, the price, you know, that's totally out of the ordinary? Okay. And it might be that they've run a promotion, right? And therefore they're discounting it. Or it might be that the scraper's gone a bit awry and it's for some reason it's picked the wrong product. And therefore it's it's almost flagging those products for a for for an eyeball or a secondary look. So then you're not automatically going off that that particular pro that particular price because you know, you've, we've we've seen instances that that uh, that you don't want to repeat that um, that people have come to us to avoid, right? Um, when they they've been using using alternatives that they've that are, we've had a witness of one one company in the appliance sector that previously to us they were repricing all the time and they lost thousands and thousands of products because thousands and thousands of pounds rather because for tw for a twelve hour period they were repricing off the wrong product, right? And that's that's not. That's not cool, right? That's not. That's not. I don't. Think, I don't think anyone. Anyone wants that, right? And so, therefore, if if you get your data hygiene right, it means that you're minimising your chances of, for example, pricing off the wrong wrong product. And and that's really what it's about. I think you you we've you've got to understand that you are up against a Goliath, 
right? You've got to understand you are up, you know, it's, it's a massive beast, but you've got to put every single gate, automatic gate in process, because we're a firm believer of solving things through technology to avoid such such instances um, like that, right? Um, so is there anything else, Rob, that you might be worth, might be worth mentioning now we're, uh, now we're, we're getting up to speed, or is that, does that pretty much cover it, do you think? No, I, th- I think we've, we've hit the core of it. I think the, um, it, it's that. It's like the, en- the engineering part is difficult, don't get me wrong, because it's difficult to do at scale and all the rest of it. But actually for a lot of e-com merchants, you're unlikely to build that in-house. So it's, I don't want to dwell on it too much because it's not really something that, that you can action what you can do is ensure that you are checking the quality of this data and that before you use it you are making sure it is up to the quality that you that is required for the purpose of which you're you're doing it um that that for me is the key bit the um i think it is actually just technologically a super interesting problem because um you're you're really at that that front edge of kind of in, in effect of, of raw data processing, I mean, you can do really clever things with like images and ML and, and, all, and all the rest of it to just kind of eke out this, um, the, uh, the, these, this better quality. And, and the better quality you get this competitive data or this data in general, it has serious, serious revenue implications, right? So before you even get into kind of optimizing your pricing and your business rules, you can really, really kind of optimize how much money you're making on a product just by sorting the data set out. So hygiene is is important yeah. in data and in other, other areas. Yeah. <laughs> all comes down to hygiene uh well thank you very much uh rob for for joining me today we've been tackling the question why competitor data is crap uh i think we're a firm believer to say that competitor data is important and uh, and that's justified by by our analysis which showed that even even during a lockdown situation uh where there is a competitive overlap you need to be in parity with your competitor products uh just shy of 50% of the time. So competitor data is is important. But really, in order to make those decisions more effective for your business, you've got to make sure that whichever supplier you use to support you with competitor data, that they first of all understand the nuances of the internet and the nuances of of what Mr. Google and the various marketplaces are doing. Okay, because uh, you know you've got to you've got to be able to navigate those to ensure that you're collecting the right matches, to ensure that you're collecting the right the right like for like products, to ensure that there are no gaps in your in your data set. Okay. Also, second to that, hygiene. Right. So you've got to make sure that you're cleansing the data. You're you've got the right uh, processes in place to have manual interventions if you need to, because if there are certain circumstances where you do some you haven't put all those steps in place you could quickly see yourself falling foul and making decisions off of off of poor data sets so uh, that's what we mean by by crap in crap out so um so thank you very much everyone for listening um we are black curve this is episode two and uh, we hope you enjoy hope you check us out for blackcurve.com for warm webinars videos and various podcasts alike so thank you very much and uh, we'll leave it there thank you